0: Well, we're in a series on the Ten Commandments. If you've been with us, uh, you've you've been with us all the way through Commandments one through uh, eight, and so uh, today we're looking at Commandment nine: uh, Do not bear false witness. Now, uh, this commandment it was originally the original context was sort of a law court setting, and so uh, the um, the setting here is is the witness stand. And uh, back in those days, they didn't have um, DNA evidence. You know, there was no crime scene investigators. Mount Sinai or anything like that. And so uh, in a a court case, uh, really the evidence was, basically came from witnesses. And so uh, this command not to bear false witness was a very important thing to preserve justice in that society. And so uh, if you were in a murder case and you testified against somebody, um, and they were convicted of murder, you were the one who had to throw the first stone. So that's where that came from, this commandment right here. And, uh, you know, this commandment, as, as Israel kind of developed and as we, as we move forward in history, um, it kind of moved out of the law court setting. I mean, it remained there, but now it's, it was essentially applied in Israel and even now as, as a, an injunction or a prohibition against lying in general. And so uh, this is a commandment uh, about lying. It's a commandment about honesty. It's a commandment about integrity. It's a commandment about truth telling. And so uh, that's what we're going to look at here this morning: is is what does it mean to be a person of integrity? And that's what this commandment is getting at. And uh, you know, when I, I think one of my favorite stories about about lying and truth telling. You know, Lucas was up here earlier talking about the youth, and and there's a story that a guy tells about when he was a kid in youth group. It's not our youth group, but it was a another youth group. And he says that he was a brand new Christian, and and the and the preacher got up, the youth minister got up, and challenged all the kids. To read Mark chapter 17 before the next week you know that was going to be the passage they were going to study and so he said, I challenge all of you to, to read all of Mark uh, 17 this week while you're at home. Well this kid left the youth group and he uh, you know, he went home, he was very inspired by this and he really wanted to do it. Uh, he really was excited and, and motivated, but when he got home he kind of forgot and he, and he didn't uh, read the chapter. He came back the next week. And, of course, the, the minister got up and said, okay, we're going to be studying Mark 17. Now, who read uh, the chapter this week? And, uh, you know, who, whoever read it, I want you to stand up. And this guy, you know, he really wanted to do it, you know, but he forgot. And so he just, you know, I don't know what got into him, but he stood up, you know, with a few other kids who had read the passage. And he said, I want you all to look around and look at these students. And they're, they're really spiritual giants and done a really good job. He says, no, I want us all to open to Mark 17. And so uh, this kid, you know, standing up, you know, started flipping through. He got to Mark 15 and, and Mark 16 and, and Luke 1. Mark Mark 16, 15, 16. Oh, oh no. And the minister said, that's right, there is no Mark 17. And he said, today we're going to talk about lying. Now I know that our youth minister would never do that. But it it raises an issue here, this issue of integrity. Even in church, even Christian people struggle with this issue of lying and integrity. And it's become sort of a a, a problem in our culture. It's almost epidemic in our culture, isn't it, this idea of integrity and this this issue with lying? Um, You know, we're in an election season, and of course, you know, we have these candidates who are running for office and they've got, you know, after every, uh, you know, debate, after every speech, there's always the fact-checking section. And I saw an, an article in the New York Times, it was by a, a woman named Angie Holin, and she, she's uh, she's she been a fact-checker since 2007. And in the article, she details all the work they've done with the presidential candidates uh, now, from the, from the primaries all the way up to the present. And so uh, they have this great scale of truth-telling when it comes to fact-checking the Claims of the Candidate. It starts with uh, true. They rate the claims on true, and then mostly true, and then half true, half false, and then mostly false, and then false, and then they have this awesome little, uh, the very last section, which is pants on fire, which is just like an out, it's not only false, it is absolutely outrageous, this lie that this candidate uh, told, and so she brought up two candidates that, are, that were in the race. And I won't tell you who the candidates are, but she said that um, these two candidates lied more than any others. And she said one of the candidates, they rated that 76% of their claims were at least false and at worst outrageous. And the other one, it was 84% of the claims they made were wrong, were false. right? And so lying is epidemic, isn't it? I mean, lying is an issue in our culture. Uh, we see it in, in even our leaders, and, and, and gosh, what does that say about us? Uh, Kent Hughes, who's a uh, commentator uh, on the book of Exodus, he put it this way. He said, There was a time when Western culture was distinguished from other cultures by at least a conventional consensus that one ought to be telling the truth. But now there is a pervasive indifference to truth-telling, which has not only affected day-to-day conversation, but the most solemn pledges of life. Perjury under oath is epidemic, the sacred vows of marriage are broken almost as frequently as they're pledged. And, the God, and God's name is daily invoked by blatant liars as witnesses to their truthfulness. And so lying is epidemic. Uh, you know, people lie in the church. You know, even our leaders are lying. It's a problem in the culture. But here's the question. Do we lie? Do you lie? Do I lie? Now somebody says, well, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person of integrity. I don't lie. But I want you to think again. Are you a person of integrity? Do you tell the truth? Do you tell the truth? You know, the Bible says that all of us have an issue with this. Um, There's one place in Jeremiah where it says our hearts are deceitful. So it's like we're almost born with this proclivity towards untruthfulness. And you see it even in little children. You know, I never taught my kids how to lie. They do it naturally. And they're really bad at it, by the way. You know, my kid walks in with chocolate all over his face. Did you eat the cookie? No, Daddy, I didn't lie. But do you lie? Uh, another survey said that um, women lie three times a day. If you're a woman, three times a day. So, you know, no, I didn't buy that, that shirt on Amazon. No, 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 I didn't do that. Uh, women lie three times a day. But then the survey also said that men men lie six times a day. So I don't know what, maybe at work, you know, maybe uh, uh, fishing, golf, I don't know what that has to do with. But we have an issue with honesty. And so the question I want to ask is, are you truthful? Are you a person of integrity? This is what the ninth commandment is all about. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to do it by looking at three things. And so first we're going to look at the ways we bear false witness, all the ways that we do this. And then second of all, we're going to look at the problem of doing this, the problem of bearing false witness. And then finally, we're going to look at how how we can be people of honesty, how we can live lives of integrity in this this world of of untruthfulness. So the ways we lie, the problem with lying, and the way we can be truthful. And so first, let's look at all the ways that we bear false witness. Uh, Of course, the commandment says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so what are all the ways that we lie to our neighbor? I want us to think about that. I want us to, I mean, where, if we were going to look at our lives, where are the cracks? Where are the crevices Crevices where, lives, where lies can be found? Where do you see lies in your own lives? Where do you even look to find them? Well, here's a list. Uh, first, you, uh, you can see lies. We, we lie to get ourselves off the hook. We lie to get ourselves off the hook. Uh, we lie to cover our tracks. And so uh, if you commit a moral failure, um, whether it's uh, adultery or stealing or tax fraud or something like that, usually lies are soon to follow. Uh, You know, lies are are usually, they come after sin. They're all wrapped around different sins that we commit. You lie to cover your tracks. And I was thinking about my own life. Um, I do this uh, when when I sin. And uh, I've told you all that one of the things I struggle with is I look at social media too much. So I'm always looking at my iPhone, I'm always at home ignoring my kids, and I'm not present with my family. And so I've made a vow. I've said to Anita, you know, I wanna, I don't wanna do this, you know, I want to be present with our kids. And, and so I've told her that, and it's kind of out in the open now. And I found myself the other night, it was it was in the evening. This was one of the times where I tell myself I'm not gonna do this. And I was reading a book and I saw my phone, I picked it up, I started looking at Facebook, and I'm scrolling through and I hear Anita coming around the corner. And so, what do I do? I throw my phone under the pillow. I open my book and pretend I'm reading. What am I doing? I'm covering my tracks. I don't want to face the consequences of my sin. And so, what, I begin to lie about it. I begin to, to shade the truth a little bit so that I don't have to face up to the reality of my, of my guilt. And so, we do this in a lot of different ways. We can lie to ourselves. Maybe you're struggling with addiction. What do, we, what do addicts say to themselves? I don't have a problem. I could quit anytime I want, right? And so you lie to yourself so that you don't have to face the reality of your own sin. You're covering your tracks. And this is one way that we lie. Um, another way that we lie is we lie to get ahead. Um, you know, there are some of us who uh, are idle in life is success and achievement. We need power. We need control. We need money. We need achievement. And so a lot of times our lies are all wrapped up in, in our desire to achieve our desire to get ahead. And one of the ways we do that this is, is by padding our resume. Um, if you've ever padded your resume, raise your hand. I'm just kidding. You don't have to, you don't, you don't have to do that. But um, one of the ways, you know, we need that job. We want to get in the door of that company. We want to make that money. And so what do we do? We shade the truth on our resume so that we can reach the ne- next level. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard the name George O'Leary, but uh, he was a, he's a prominent football coach, and uh, he was the football coach at the University of Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish, uh, for two days before he was fired. And so what happened? He got this job, it was his dream job, and there was a reporter who wanted to do a story on George O'Leary. And so he, he went into his past, and on his resume, uh, George O'Leary had this line, um, University of New Hampshire football lettered three years, just a little line. And so the reporter went back to the University of New Hampshire to talk to his old buddies who played football with him. But he found that nobody knew who George O'Leary was. It was a flat-out lie. He never uh, played football at the University of New Hampshire. He was quickly fired. He lost his job at the University of Notre Dame. But um, it's a reminder never to lie on your resume. Uh, But I remember his brother said this. uh, uh, When all this came out, uh, George O'Leary's brother said, is anyone trying to tell me that resumes are truthful? And then he said, the willingness to lie on a resume is an indication of how much you want the job. (laughs) Right? And so, uh, you know, if you're a person who needs achievement, you need money, you're going to find yourself fudging in the area of resume, of maybe cheating on taxes. Your lies revolve all around needing to get ahead. We also lie to protect our image right? And so some of us, our, our idol is not power and control and money. You don't really care much about that. But, but what you really care a lot about is your image. Uh, you need to have a squeaky clean image. You need to look good in front of other people. You need to be viewed as an upstanding citizen. And so oftentimes you spin the truth and you fudge the truth and your lies revolve around maintaining your image, and I find that, that I do this a lot as well. Um, I've, I've told you before that I want all of you to think that my, I have the perfect family. I need to maintain, maintain that image. I want all of you to think that my kids are perfectly well-behaved. And I love it when I'm in a restaurant or some public place and somebody looks at my family and says, oh, your kids are so well-behaved. And I always say, oh, yes, yes, you're right, they are. <laughs> I do have the perfect family. And I just love the, the shiny image, you know. And therefore, I hate it when my kids misbehave in public, right? They, they start screaming in public, and it gets me so angry because why? Because the truth is coming out. People are realizing that my family doesn't have it all together. And so what do I do? I will lie. I will make us look really good. I'll spin the truth, right, so that people um, think that my, I've got it all together. Maybe you do this too. Uh, George Bernard Shaw put it this way. He said, life is not about finding yourself but about creating yourself, right? And so we, we spin the truth and we, and we mold our image and we're in sales and marketing because we need people to view us a certain way. And so maybe your lies are all about maintaining a good image. And we do this, you know, many of us do. I think the, the greatest lie that we say in church is, I'm fine. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Right, these are Christian lies. How are you doing? Oh, praise the Lord, Everything's great when really your life is falling apart. There's skeletons in the closet. Things are not going well, and yet you are painting a glossy picture of your life. This is deceit. This is another way we lie. <clears throat> Jesus said to the Pharisees, they were masters at this, the Pharisees. And he says, "You are like whitewashed tombs. Tombs on the outside you're white and shiny, but underneath there are, there are dead men's bones in your life." Right? You look good on the outside, but what's really going on in your family, what's really going on in your personal life, what's really going on when you're at home and nobody else is around. Right, we lie to protect our image. We also lie to get the approval of others. We lie to get and keep the approvals of of other people. Uh, Many of us, we need to be liked. Uh, We need people to approve of us. We need people to um, love us. And so because of this, we will not tell people the truth when it's hard, right? There are some truths that are very difficult to tell people, right? Hard truths. And maybe uh, there is somebody in your life and, and they're, uh, they've got fatal flaws. There are things that they're doing that's destroying their life. And you know it, you see it, you know everybody else sees it, but you're not going to tell them the truth. Why? Because you need that person to like you. Right? You, you can't bear the fact that if you tell them the truth, that they're going to think less of you. And so, you know, the emperor has no clothes, but you're not going to say anything because you need that approval. And again, we do this at church. You know, somebody gets up and sings, and they're horrible, and everybody knows that they're horrible. And, uh, you know, they get off the stage, and everybody says, that was an uh, interesting interpretation there. Uh, you know, pretty good. Did you like it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I did. No, it was terrible. And that person needs to be told that in a loving, gentle way. And yet we, we need to be liked, and so we tell benevolent lies. Right? And so these are the ways that lies shows up, show up in our lives. Do you, do you see it in your own life? Do you see the lack of integrity? Do you see the, see the way you spin the truth? Um, this is the way we bro- break the ninth commandment. Now, let's look at this. I mean, what is the problem with lying then? Okay, if we tell these, these lies in all of these various ways, let's ask the question, why is this so bad? Why does God not want us to lie? You know, the Bible does say that God, lies make God nauseous. Proverbs 12 says that one of the things that God hates is a lying tongue. Why does God hate it so much? I mean, if you're honest with yourself, in some ways, lies, they have worked in your life. They have gotten you to the job, maybe. Maybe they've kept you out of trouble with your wife, your spouse. You know, in some ways, lies work in the short run. Why why are they so dangerous? Why does God hate them? Let me give you three ways that lies uh, destroy. Uh, Number one, lies erode community. When you're untruthful, when you lack integrity, lies erode relationships in your life. So whenever you tell a lie, Whenever you tell a lie, know that you are are going in a direction that is against relationship and connection. Anytime you shade the truth, you are eroding community. And you see this on the big level. You know, if if there is a society where lies are rampant, you can't trust anybody. And when you can't trust anybody, relationships fall apart. One commentator put it this way. Imagine a society in which no one trusted another to keep a promise in which every leader was expected to lie as a matter of course, in which every teacher was suspected of an ac- as an academic cheat, and every preacher a moral fraud, in which all contractors were never expected to be honored, and no partner could bank on the loyalty of another. Life would be brutalized. We would go from community, from a community to a jungle. Lies erode community. Relationships are built upon trust, And when you lie, you break trust, which breaks relationships. Um, Some of you, anybody heard of Frank Abagnale? Frank Abagnale was a famous, uh, he was a con man. And uh, in his life from the age of 15 to 21, six years, he lived a complete fabrication. And he wrote fraudulent checks. He uh, pretended to to work in various vocations that he wasn't really trained for. And so uh, he pretended to be a physician, uh, which is super scary. Um, he pretended to be a pilot. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, he pretended to be a policeman. He posed as a lawyer. And so six years of his life, he lived a complete lie. And so, and finally he was caught and he was he was thrown in prison, but they made a movie about it. Anybody seen the movie? It's called Catch Me If You Can, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. He's so cute. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> but I remember after the movie, they were, they were uh, she, uh, uh, Frank uh, Abigno was on Oprah and he was being interviewed. And at one point, Oprah asked him, she said, when you were telling all of these lies, um, did, didn't you feel guilty? I mean, how did you live with yourself? Didn't you feel guilt? And he said, no, I don't remember feeling guilty. The thing that I remember is I felt incredibly lonely. He said, nobody knew me and nobody trusted me and therefore, I didn't have any real relationships. And so the lying eroded, eroded community in my life. For many of us, your, our lies, our lack of integrity, it's, it's keeping you from a good relationship with your spouse. And it's keeping you from actually getting, knowing and being known in the community of the church. Lies erode relationships. Secondly, uh, lies erode your, your very identity. Uh, a lack of integrity erodes your identity. And so who are you? Who are you really? You know, so many of us, we have a false self. We have the glossy self that we present to other people. But then there's the real less. And the more you lie and the more you fabricate, and the more you spend, the less you know who you really are. There's a series uh, on TV called Mad Men. I've talked about it before. and But the main character in that TV show, uh, a man named Don Draper, lies about everything. He lies at work. Uh, to sell products. He lies at home to protect his adulterous affairs. Um, he lies about his identity, his very name. And there's one episode where Don Draper, you know, he's coming to realize, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't even know, wh- 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 what, where's my identity? Who am I? And he, he's out, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, October 31st, and he's trick-or-treating with his children. And he goes up to the door of this uh, house, and all of his kids are dressed up. And the woman opens the door, and she says, she looks at the kids and she looks at Don Draper and says, who are you supposed to be? And it's a picture of he, he doesn't know himself. You know, and when you talk to people who've, who, you know, maybe they've been living a lie, they've been in an adulterous affair, or they're fabricating the truth, the thing you often hear them saying is, look, I didn't even know who I was anymore. Lies erode your identity. And then finally, uh, lies uh, put you on a collision course with reality. Uh, lies uh, uh, at some point, the truth c- uh, catches up with you, right? There's a, there's a reality out there, and you can't change it. And sooner or later, the truth has a funny way of coming and smacking you in the face. It always catches up with you. You know, and as a, mi- a minister, I'll pick on my own profession right now, but, uh, the, you know, I've seen pastors recently in the last couple of years who Uh, you know, it's come out that they've had affairs or it's come out that they've been embezzling money or it's come out that they've been oppressive in their job. And I'm always amazed at how long that went on. But eventually the truth always catches up. And it's almost like you're playing a game of Jenga and you're pulling the truth out here and a a truth out there and you're pulling a truth out over here. And pretty soon the edifice is so weak that it just crumbles to the ground. The problem with the false witness, the problem with lying, the problem with the lack of integrity. So we've seen the way that we do it, all the different ways that we lie. What is the problem with that? The truth catches up to you, right? There's a reality out there, and it's going to erode community in your life, and you're not going to know who you are anymore. Uh, it, It catches up with you. Lies tend to destroy and disintegrate our lives, well, let's move on, and we'll, we'll turn a corner here in the sermon, and we'll ask the question, well, how then can we be t- people of truth? Uh, you know, th- this commandment, when it says, thou shalt not bear false witness, this is not just a negative commandment. We're not just supposed to look at how we break it and why it's so bad. We're supposed to move past that and ask the question, what is the flip side of do not lie? What is the opposite of do not bear false witness? What is this this commandment trying to push us towards? And the answer is it's trying to push us towards telling the truth. This commandment is is all about wanting God's people to be people of absolute honesty and integrity. That's the other side of this commandment. And we see this in the New Testament. Jesus outlines what he means by it in in Matthew 5. uh, Jesus puts it like this. He says, Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not uh, swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. And then he says, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. Jesus says in the the Ten Commandments, this is what I'm getting at with do not lie. He says, I want you to be a person whose yes is yes and whose no is no. I want you to be a person of absolute honesty. When you say yes, you mean yes. When you say no, you mean no. You are a person who when people hear your words or they see you coming, they get the real deal. They see the real you. And when you look at Christianity, uh, Christianity is all about the truth. Being a Christian, in fact, even the way it talks about becoming a Christian, the Bible talks about getting out of the darkness, getting out of falsehood, out of the shade, and coming into the light. God wants his people to be people of the light. He wants us to be people of honesty. He wants us to be people of integrity. In the New Testament, one word that's used to describe this is the word sincerity. And there's too many verses even to bring up, but all the way through the New Testament, uh, God is telling Christians, I want you to be people of sincerity. And the word sincerity in the Latin, it's made up of two different words, without wax. And it comes from the ancient world. There was a situation that would happen where, uh, you know, people uh, in those days, they would build sculptures and gods and things like that out of stone, and they'd sell them in the marketplace. And there, sometimes you'd have your your sculpture out there, and it would fall over, and maybe uh, David's arm would break off, or Caesar's nose would break off, and you'd have a sculpture that you couldn't sell. And instead of trashing the thing, what they would do is they would get wax, and they would form a nose out of a Caesar and put it on him, or they'd get an arm, arm, and they'd make an arm out of wax and put it on King David. And they'd be able to sell the sculpture again. So they'd put it out in the market, somebody would buy it, they'd take it home. They would put it in their garden, and it would reach 100 degrees, very humid. And what would happen? Caesar's nose would begin to melt off. David's arm would begin to melt melt off. And the person would say, the sculpture is not without wax. It wasn't sincere. And what the Bible says is, it says, I want you to be without wax. I want you to be the same on the inside as you are on the outside. I want every single yes and every single no to be yes or no. I want you to be a person of absolute integrity. I want you to be a person whose who's private life looks like your public life. And this is what the, the commandment is getting at. Um, one of the, a picture of sincerity. Um, when I was younger, I had a friend when I was first becoming a Christian. And uh, this, this guy, his name was Matt, he really, I found his life so compelling because it was so honest and sincere. It was one of the reasons why I became a Christian. His life, I saw his life. And uh, Matt was, he was a um, super smart guy. He was, uh, he was in my science class, I remember, in college. And uh, this guy, Matt, he, uh, I remember, uh, he was such a guy of integrity. And uh, he worked at a yogurt shop. He worked at Penguin's Frozen Yogurt. Are those around anymore? Anybody? TCBY, maybe. Uh, anyway, he worked at the yogurt, sh- yogurt shop. And, and when we were younger, we had friends who would work at this shop. And whenever we went in there, the yogurt would flow. I mean, everybody got free yogurt. And uh, I know it's terrible, isn't it? Uh, everybody would get free yogurt. And so uh, we, I remember we all came into the yogurt one day, and Matt was working. And we said, okay, Matt, come on, give us the yogurt. You know, we're here, you know, the boss isn't around. Give us some yogurt. And so Matt turned around, and he started filling up the yogurt and giving it all to us, his friends. And then I remember, to my shock, Matt, after giving us the yogurt, he went to the cash register, pulled money out of his own pocket, and paid for it. And I remember thinking, who does that? I mean, who do- the boss isn't around. Who does that? And I thought, maybe there's something about this Christianity thing. Just by looking at his life. He was sincere. This guy was without wax. He was a man of integrity. And it was incredibly attractive. I remember another thing that shocked me when I was first becoming a Christian was that I would go to small group Bible study. And I remember uh, when people would gather around, they'd actually begin to be very open about their faults. And I remember distinctly sitting in this group, and this kid just said, you know what, Um, last night I looked at pornography. I remember just thinking, like, did he just say that out loud? <laughs> how, does he, how did he, he was a man of integrity. He wasn't putting on an act. He wasn't trying to be, look better than he was. He was a man who just said, look, I'm going to confess openly. And I'm just going to be honest. And I'm going to get prayer for it. And people are going to gather around me and encourage me. He was a man of integrity, this guy. You know, and then I, I remember, you know, in, in the church, you know, uh, there were people that spoke the truth in love. You know, this is a, a Bible verse where it says, speak the truth in love. And they would see somebody who was, who was doing something that was self-destructive, it was wrong, it was bad for them. And everybody knew that it was bad for them. And instead of ignoring it and just thinking, man, that guy's in for it and not really saying anything, people would actually confront people in the church. And they loved each other so much that they would actually speak the truth in love. Even when, when the truth was hard, they would gently say, brother, sister, I see that you're not doing something right here. And this honesty and this transparency and this integrity is incredibly attractive. Are you a person of integrity? Are we people of integrity? When people look at the church here, when when people look at us and our lives and the way we interact, are we people of absolute honesty? C.S. Lewis said, A person of integrity does the same thing in private as they do in public if someone was to open up your computer and go through your files, if someone was to look at the private conversations you have in your house, if somebody was going was gonna to l- open your spreadsheets to see if all the dots were, were, all the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed, what would they find? Are we people of integrity and honesty? And when we're caught, do we confess? This is what the ninth commandment is all about. Let's ask how do we do this Um, because who's feeling bad if you want to raise your hand anybody I feel when I was studying this week I just felt so guilty and I think this commandment is supposed to get us to start to think like maybe I don't do this very well I think the way you're supposed to feel when you look at the ninth ninth commandment is oh my gosh what do I do I'm not without wax and I do put up a front what do I do about this Well, listen, the Bible tells us that the way we become a person of integrity is by understanding the gospel. What does the gospel say? The gospel says this. The gospel says that God knows the truth about you. God knows you to the bottom. You can hide nothing from your creator. He knows you more than anybody. But it says that God loves you so much that when he saw you in all of your sin and all of your brokenness, He loved you anyway to such an extent that he sent his son into the world to take your sin for you. He died for you. And because of this, if you understand this, if you accept this, God will make you a son. He will will make you a daughter. He'll forgive you of your sins, and you will be accepted. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel, right? And when you understand how accepted you are, when you understand how forgiven you are, when you understand that there's nothing to hide, when you understand that you are loved more than anything, it, en- it enables you to open up. And it, en- it enables you to be a person of integrity. So do you believe the gospel? Are you a person of integrity? This is what the ninth commandment is all about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this word that you give us this morning, a, a word about integrity and honesty. Uh, Lord, I pray for all of us. Um, God, as we, as we sit here this morning, as we sing this final song, I pray that, God, that you would convict us of sin, that you'd show us in our lives where we are not uh, being as truthful as, as we should be. <clears throat> God, I pray that you'd give us the courage. God, that you'd give us the courage to be honest. Father, I pray that you would help us to know uh, deep um, in our hearts, in our souls, that God, even though we are very sinful, you love us and you forgive us. Father, I pray the gospel would help us to be honest. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.